Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 73rd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. There's so many great things going on in the wolf land here this day. We're very excited for some of the stuff we have coming up, some of the show ideas, and some of the guests that we're going to have on our show. Not to mention, I'm going to be guesting on a few shows here coming up inside and outside of the Pantheon Podcast family. As most of our listeners should know at this point, we are a part of the Pantheon podcast family and network about a hundred great music podcasts out there that i hope you check out you can check out pantheonpodcast.com or at pantheon pods to learn more we got some folks that we're looking forward to talking to of course i had the opportunity to be on the hook rocks with jay because i won greatest album of all time bracket here this last march and he was gracious enough to have me on let me talk about our show a little bit and our Rock and Roll Origins is a fun conversation, and you should really check out Jay's show. He had Joe Satriani on not too long ago, so definitely check out the Hook Rocks. Uh, but we have a few other things coming up that I can't uh, let out of the bag just yet, just things that have us excited. And we're ex- we were so honored and excited to have Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock on last show. Their new blues album, Bonham Bullock, is killer. It drops April 29th. I highly recommend everybody go out and get that one, and we really appreciate everybody listening to that episode. This week, I had the great honor of being able to see in concert The Simple Minds. Simple Minds, to most Americans, are a one-hit wonder. They're one song from one movie. It's Don't You Forget About Me from The Breakfast Club and from The Breakfast Club soundtrack for the longest time. For seven or eight years, the only place, the only album that you could get Don't You Forget About Me on was the Breakfast Club soundtrack. It wasn't even on a Simple Minds record. And in my opinion, that hurt the Simple Minds a little bit in America because they had a great sound. They were great songwriters. That was a song that was written for them for a movie that they didn't really want to do. And they ended up doing it became an enormous hit for them. But they decided not to put it on their own record even though they worked with Steve Lillywhite, Jimmy Iovine, Trevor Horn, some amazing producers, and that was a huge hit in America. And it still never ended up on one of their albums until the greatest hits album in the early 90s. And honestly, I think that hurt their success in America. But I know that Brits and Scots and people of Europe, really all around the world, know that Simple Minds are much more than just one song. They had a string of hits throughout the 80s. Amazing, beautiful, wonderful songs little techno vibe but that you could dance to very new wave rock but you could tap your foot to it they could play it in the clubs and i think that was part of their enduring success is to have that great songwriting that not only fit in era and define an era but are classic in all time and if you just come to the music if you're new to simple minds their music will sound as fresh now as it did when it was released. Jim Kerr is a fantastic frontman. A little self-deprecating, but a funny guy with still an amazing voice to belt out all these classic songs. And the song at Wembley Arena, I was very fortunate to be there. Had a great time. Another concert that I've been waiting two, two and a half years to see. Finally got to see it. It's so great to have live music back. And that's part of what Jackson and I talk about at the end of this show, is not only my happiness in reviewing Simple Minds and talking about their history a little bit, but looking forward to what we both have on our concert calendar in 2022, because it's really been a couple of years 
without much on there. I know a lot of Rock fans are psyched about that. Now, a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Amazon, Google Play, Good Pods, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, please download and subscribe. And you can always reach out to us on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. We'd love to hear from you. Want to know what you're listening to? Want to know which albums, which bands? You want us to review. We want to hear from you. So with that, I want to dive into with Jackson here. We're going to do a little bit of history to kind of educate, and I feel like we're educating mostly Americans on this, but educate them on the Simple Minds, on their career, on all their great albums and as many of their songs as we can, while talking about my experience and seeing them live, which again was so great. And they're doing about 100 shows on a tour from March 31st through August all around Europe and the UK. I highly recommend you go see them. Please go check out Simple Minds if you have the means, if you have the time. So without further ado, let's jump into it. It's me and Jackson talking Simple Minds here on The Wolf. But yes, it was fun to be in Sicily. But then in doing research for this show, Mm -hmm. I learned that Jim Kerr, lead singer, songwriter of Simple Minds, owns a hotel on the coast of Sicily, on the East Coast. You should have stayed there. Well, well, see, now, yeah, I should have. Well, I mean, the place we went was pretty nice. I I have no regrets. I'm like, well, that's kind of an odd coincidence. Yeah, that's... uh... How crazy would that be to if you didn't even know that he's just there for whatever reason? Hey, what's going on? It's a great place, huh? I own it. All right. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yeah, in case the whole rock and roll thing doesn't work out after four. Right. Years, yeah, exactly. Years. You can. <laughs> 60 million copies, 60 million records they've sold worldwide, Jackson. I didn't it's realize that until I did a little research and I was because. They kept talking about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we put out this record and we put out that record. Okay, so how many did you, 60 million is nothing to sneeze at. No, it's big time. You know, yeah. and in America, you, you'll, if people know any, anything by them, it's Don't You Forget About Me from The Breakfast Club. And everybody knows the song. Not everybody knows it's Simple Minds. Huge hit in America. I mean, number one mainstream rock. I mean, number one all over the place. And in an iconic Especially for our generation, this is an iconic movie. I mean, it's like, what would it be? It's like The Graduate, I don't know, for maybe the generation ahead of us, for our parents' generation or something like that. As far as touchstone at a point of life that spoke to everyone. Well, you know, obviously not everyone. There weren't a lot of inner city kids in the picture. But for suburban America, which is exactly where you and I come from, I don't know, it was something that spoke to a whole generation and is, you know, John Hughes, maybe finest work. Yes. And probably, I was trying to think of what, like, what would be the big three, like, 80s hits that also came from big movies? It would be probably this. It would be Footloose from Footloose. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know. I mean, because there were a lot of songs that were big, but the movie was like, eh. Or there are songs that are from movies that you don't really remember. Like you watch the movie. Oh, okay. I remember that move. That song was in there. But I mean, those two things, don't you forget about me and the breakfast club are synonymous. They go together. And I think it's in the movie more than once too. I think it's at the beginning. And then it's definitely at the end when when he's walking out and he puts his fist up and then they roll the credits and they hit the song again. Yeah, it was, it was huge, huge, huge cultural touchstone Mm -hmm. in America. And we were just at about the right age. I mean, that came out 
right before you turn 13 years old, or you were already 13, and I was just about to be 13, right? So how does the world change once you become a teenager, you know? So we were right there smack in the middle of it. But then I feel like, okay, so then I feel like our generation got Simple Minds, us being just that teenage, that barrier right there, and then all the older kids did. But then, like, your little brothers and sisters, maybe you and John are on that generation, but then your little brothers and sisters, they kind of missed it because they're a little, you know, they're a little bit behind. They weren't there then. And in America, for so many people, that's all the Simple Minds are. They're that one song that was in the Breakfast Club. Wasn't even on an original Simple Minds album at the time, not for seven more years, but we'll get into that. So, you know, it, it's it's like you had to be at least of a certain age to get the Simple Minds. And then, yeah, there's Simple Minds fans in America, there's no doubt about it, but they're not like the as huge as they are over here in the UK. And it's all because of that song, both good and bad. Right, and it's one of those deals where I never like this because you've got this song that's huge and you want to own a copy of it, but it's only on the soundtrack and maybe I don't want the rest of the soundtrack. Right. And on the flip side for the band, you know, it's hard to promote that. Okay, here's our next record. Oh, okay, cool. So it has your hit on it. Well, no, it's other songs, but you're going to love them. I promise the hit's not on there, then we've moved on. And to your point before, unfortunately in America, I mean, you've got maybe four or five years and then the next group of people were around the next... I don't want to say generation because that's not a, that's not enough time, but like the next wave, Mm -hmm. I guess, of kids. And now, you know, Oh, that's breakfast club. That's old. I want something new. I want the new thing that's coming out. So yeah, unfortunately they, I think they kind of, they kind of hit at the right time, but they didn't do it in a way that propelled their career forward in America. Well, so look, the reason we are talking about this, because I got to see them recently, their first night of the tour in London, they're doing like a pretty big tour i mean like all over europe and like a four-month tour with, with not a ton of days off they're really getting after it now it was supposed to happen two years ago right i think i was supposed to see them in march of 2020 thinking you know when i got over here hey let's see some bands who i might not get to see in america when i saw they're doing their 40th anniversary tour I'm like cool you know i know a few of their songs and I bet there's a bunch more that are hits over here that I don't know in America. So it'd be a fun date night, you know. You could take the She-Wolf and it's not Iron Maiden or, you know, something like that. <laughs> she would actually, like, dance and, and have a good time, you know. So I'm like, yeah. And then, of course, COVID came and they postponed it a year and then they postponed it another year. So, God, I mean, I was sitting on those tickets. How long? Two and a half years? I don't know. Something like that. So it's a long time to wait. But we'll get into the show, which was was a lot of fun. But I want to talk about them, you know, their history and and the difference between their success over on this side of the continent right? and really uh, around the world they do well but just not in America other than one song or one record you know because mm-hmm. um, cuz they were great and i you know they've made 18 records they're still making hits to this day lots of lineup changes but it's always been Jim Kerr and what's his name on guitar Charlie Burchill Charlie Burchill on guitar yeah correct yeah they and they they write a lot of the songs have written a lot of the songs over the years but fun show I don't know. I, I love their sound, man. It has a certain 80s quality to it. It's, it it kind of helps define the era. It defines them, yes. But when you hear it, I don't know, it automatically takes me back to a certain place almost, you know. Uh, and they, they do this sound 
better than anybody. And it's interesting because you said you wanted to do this and I did this topic and I was like, mm, I only know like one song from that. No, you don't. You actually know more when you get into it. And it, it was right. reminding me of a story, a friend of mine, it, it, this was years and years ago. He, it, through a work thing, he went to go see Eddie Money and he was Eddie like, Mahoney. I see Eddie, yeah, Eddie Mahoney. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> see that. I don't know. But it was a work deal. So he went and he said, you know what? I sat there. I'm like, I know most of these songs and these, he's got some really good ones. And it was the same thing for, for Simple Minds. Yeah, I know that one. Okay. I remember, I, I didn't know it was them, but I remembered the song hearing mm -hmm. it in passing. Yeah, they've, they've got a really, especially if you start from the beginning of that three disc greatest hits package, they've got a very unique sound. And I was trying to do kind of the math backwards. There's a lot of stuff in there that you could point to other bands and say, now, wait a minute. I think somebody else may have come along and kind of ripped this off a little bit. They were, I think they were more influential than they, than they get credit for also. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think over here, I mean, they were the number one selling, you know, Scottish band of the eighties, you know, which is not only big in Scotland, but big in the UK and big in Europe. And I guess they say they, they even do pretty well in like, uh, you know, Asia, Oceania, over that way, Australia, you know, New Zealand mm -hmm. down that way, which is not a surprise for English speaking bands. But I think Jim Kerr's voice is, is special. And it, it's got great tone, but it's also got good heart. Uh, and mm -hmm. it just feels very honest to me throughout the years. And when I saw him a couple of weeks ago, it was still rich and clear, you know, and he may not be as spry as he used to be, you know, but he, he was a showman, you know, and making jokes between songs and, and tracks and stuff. He, the people loved him. He's a natural showman at this point. He's been doing a really long time. And so there's an ease about it for him. It was also kind of a self-deprecating, yeah, it's all good. I, I think it really comes through in everything they do. It's interesting that in looking at the beginning of the band, it's kind of the same story over and over again that we all of all these bands that we talk about. It's two dudes and they're living in a town and they go to school together and maybe they know each other. And then one day one of them comes and they've got some records under their arm and they, oh, what, what do you, what do you got over there? Oh, okay. This guy, Okay, this guy's cool because he listens to, you know, he's got David Bowie or the Rolling Stones or something. Okay, I think this is somebody I could be friends with. And then they, you know, you kind of you kind of start this friendship from a mutual love and something that you you want to do with your life. And one of the interesting things that they said was that they were both big prog fans, you know, yes, right. and Pink Floyd and everything. And it's not that they but when punk came around, it wasn't that they hated prog rock. They just knew they couldn't do it. It was too complicated. It was too complex musicianship wise. But punk, you could do that all day. That was easy. And everybody loved punk in the late 70s. And so that's what they did. But they kind of had their own. It was it was like, I don't know, like disco punk. I don't know what you would say, because it wasn't like the real hard, you know, three chords screaming at them. They had a yeah, it was like a Roxy music kind of yeah. punk, kind of Brian Eno, you know, kind of punkish thing, you know. And and if you listen to the early stuff, you can definitely hear like where a Depeche Mode would have come out of that, or you know, but what's his name did did yeah, Zoo also. But there were a couple of songs where I'm like, wow, that sounds really. They weren't super complicated, but they had enough layering in it where you had the synths and the bass was really grooving, and so you could play it in a club, right. but it was also fresh and new. So yeah, to your point, I think they had their own kind of sound that they were pioneering. And I had to throw this in there because they. They started off as the punk, as you say, as punk band, Johnny and the Self-Abusers. 
Uh, and they, right. <laughs> they even uh, they even went to, you know and made themselves you know some punk names because Jim Kerr became Pripton Weird, <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie Birchall was Charlie Argue. And was it, is it Mike McNeil? Is it Mick McNeil? Um, was Sid Syphilis, you know, who's the keyboard <laughs> player for a long time. So yeah, great, you know, great names, but obviously the thing is you start as a punk band so you can get out there and you can play some gigs and you can see, all right, well, how do you do this thing? How do you become a, a right. professional musician? Right. And they, Open for Gen X with Billy Idol, I think, at some point, which would have taught them a few things. You know, being a being a Glasgow band, they wanted to make it in Scotland and in Edinburgh. But then, you know, you got to come down to the big city down here and, and, and start to make it that way. And by the time they were starting to do that, the new wave scene was very much on, you know. Right. And like I was trying to I was trying to figure this out also, but like the song that they did, I think it was their first one, Life in a Day. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot like the synth part sounds a lot like Gary Newman's cars. So again, it was kind of, I don't know which one came first. I think maybe this might've come first. Not that Newman was a big fan or anything, but it was just that they were pioneering that sound, the sound of the young people, club music moving forward from the over the top proggy stuff of the the mid to late seventies. Right. Yeah. So you're incorporating the prog, which is so melodic and amazing, but Technically, it's very hard to pull off. Hard to pull off at a small club where they have to, you know, get started. Punk is all the rave, and it's got the look. It's got the crowds. So go play that stuff, and then you can learn to get better at your instruments while you do that. Right. Right? Yeah, and and hone some craft. You've got Jim Kerr's voice to build around. That's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, but, but the thing is, yeah, they had life in a day. And real cacophony and empires and dance, and none of them came out in America. You know, they're starting to get a little traction in England, but but none of them come out in America. You know, and so Americans can't know anything about them. They're not going to put them on MTV if you can't buy their records in America. So uh, it's good that they're building their base, but someone's dropping the ball on the other side of the pond. And it might have been a, it might have been a deal too, where they, they didn't think that it would catch on. At that point in time, in, in kind of the late 70s, MTV wasn't a thing yet. I don't think they were really, in the United States, we weren't really ready for this in 77 or seven, when did this come out? 79. Not just yet. We were still on the cusp. I don't know. I mean, as soon as Duran Duran came out, they were ready for it. Everybody was ready Correct. for it. And that's, Correct. you know, what's that? That's 1981, right? Yeah. So it's it's not that far off. But yeah, no, I mean, this is, they're part of all of that. I mean, you know, they're, they're not from the Midlands. They're from Scotland. They're from Glasgow. So they're a little further north. So they weren't necessarily part of that everyday scene in Birmingham that, uh, that Duran Duran was a part of. But, you know, Duran Duran, it it wasn't always a new wave scene there. I mean, that's like where Black Sabbath comes from, you know, and <laughs> Judas Priest and, and ELO come from Birmingham. You know, it's not all new wave over the years. It's kind of, it, it has its ebbs and flows, I, I guess. But part of shaping the sound of new wave and what they call the new romantics now. I didn't know it was called that back then. But Oh, come on. Apparently it was, uh, but they they had this string of hits, you know, with like "Promise to a Miracle" and "Glittering Prize," you know, all. And what was amazing is everything they played at the show. It was all their old stuff from like the late seventies all the way up to maybe oh, okay. ninety one. I mean, there may be a, a one or two in there that were a little later than that, but not many. I mean, it's like if you go through all of their hits, all of their discography, all the way down, starting with the singles in like nineteen eighty one, then that's everything they played right through there. 
Well, that's good because obviously the crowd then, they know that the crowd is into the entire catalog and not just the hits. That's what I loved about it because you know, here I, I'm American. I did hear all these songs growing up. I've tried to get used to them, but the 40th anniversary triple album is fantastic. I've been listening to it for a couple of years, ever since we were supposed to go to the show a couple of years ago. I'm like, God, they've got so many great tunes in here. But yeah, no, they did They did Love Song, Promised You a Miracle, Glittering Prize, Someone Somewhere in Sometime, Waterfront, Speed Your Love to Me, Catwalk, Don't You Forget About Me, Alive and Kicking, all the things she said. Yeah, I mean, they did all these, every single one. Plus, you know, some that are maybe a little bit deeper. It's amazing. They have a song called Magic that came off their last album in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it actually had a really cool video, too. But, you know, the, the compilation isn't in exact time order, right? They mix up the discs as far as, you know, they, they put songs from different eras together, which is kind of cool for a listen but for someone who's familiar with the catalog, it would be great if they were like, they all came out, you know, like a like the singles by the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. the singles of the London years, you know, those all, you know, it kind of came out in order there. So you could kind of get a feel for how all these things happened. But that that was, and it was a bit of a hit too, and they didn't play it. And what was the last time you heard me say, well, I went to see this band on their 40th anniversary tour. I was bummed they didn't play a song they made three years ago, you know? Right, yeah. Usually it's the other way around. The new stuff is when people take a break. But they didn't even play it, the boogers. So <laughs> anyway. But no, no, it was a fun show. What was cool was they had a back screen like Genesis. I mean, not quite as big. Hmm. Um, it didn't, you know, maybe move the same way or whatever. I mean, Genesis had like next generation big time. They're, they're, they're charging like 300 to 400 bucks a ticket there. I mean, was Simple Minds even 100 bucks? I don't, I don't, I don't think it was. So, you know, it, they can put more production into it, but their stage and light show was great. And she wolf, she loved it. She thought it was killer. You know, she's like, "This is great." I, you know, we're at Wembley Arena, not Wembley Stadium, where they play okay. soccer matches. I was going to ask you what the what the venue size was, but yeah, I mean, that's still that's still decent, though. I mean, was it thirteen thousand people? Something so like it's, that had to be. So it's like a 000? basketball. Yeah, it's a basketball arena. Yeah, arena. Okay. But not, it, but it didn't have a States. huge like upper deck or anything. It was kind of like huge floor, and then it, it kind of went up. No, so it was, was good it? Spot. Was the um, how was the crowd good? I mean, was it packed? Yeah, it was packed. Um, okay. And and I was, I guess, on the younger side. The She Wolf was certainly on the younger side, I guess, of fans. But then I also saw people with little kids there too. Like you know, say I'm sharing these with my kids. Like I took mm. Wolf Cub to see kiss the people there with kids so but yeah i mean older older crowd you know a lot of people were sitting down but when they when they ooh, when they played don't you forget about me everybody was on their feet and chanting along <laughs> it was a big deal that's for sure but 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 we'll get into that because i gotta tell you i mean going through these these albums and, and the way they sell, you can see them taking off through the early 80s, right? You can see them start to get some traction. With like they, they release a gold album, you know, uh, and they get a, a hit like Love Song, you know, uh, kind of their first big hit Love Song, uh, which, of course, they play that night. And then the albums they release from 82 to 85 are kind of big. New Gold Dream, 81, 82, 83, 84, had a bunch of hits on it, went platinum in the UK, platinum New Zealand, platinum and gold around the UK. And then Spark in the rain with even more hits again more more platinum and 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 gold but then once upon a time is kind of their big one in 1985 yeah and and that's something i wanted to talk about too you talk about all of the everything lining up together they really had a pretty good run of working with some big time producers too big time so starting with sparkle in the rain with steve lillywhite and then going into once upon a time with jimmy iovine Right. Yeah. And and he really, it, according to them, he Iovine really was the one who came in and said, 
let's move this sound forward. Let's get some backing singers. Let's make it a bigger, richer deal. So it's kind of, you want to think that everything have, I mean, everything does happen organically, but sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time. And the whole story about Iovine going to, to Australia to work with Men at Work and Men at Work saying, or somebody from the band's management were like, nah, we, this isn't really going to work out. We don't really want you here. And then him saying, well, then, okay, then go pound sand. I'm out of here. He gets into the cab. And according to him, that he's listening to something in, or he says something about men at work and the cab driver's like, man, eh, those guys suck. You know, okay, fine. Then who are you listening to? And he, and he puts on, I think, Waterfront ah. is, is that way the story went. He's like, oh, who are these guys? And then he, he sought them out, Simple Minds, the band to work with. And so, yeah, they got to, and then, and then moving on to Trevor Horn. So they had, some, right. they had some big time firepower behind the glass. That was, the, that was, the, I mean, that run, Steve Lillowhite, who's, you know, very famous for working with you two amongst mm-hmm. others, to Jimmy Iovine, Bruce Springsteen, Patti Smith, Tom Petty, Stevie Nicks, founder of Beats by Dre with Dr. Dre. Oh yeah. That was the, that was the thing too. The, the cab driver apparently asked him, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I, I work in music production. Well, you work with anybody I've ever heard of. Well, you know, maybe Bruce Springsteen, you know, you too. Yeah. Bands like that. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah, you're pretty big time. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. Man. You know, just a couple of little bands like that. And Trevor Horn has had a huge career. Of course, he was in Yes, and then he produced Yes Big Albums. Correct. Also in the Buggles, as was Jeff Downs, who, of course, is a founding member of Asia. And that's how you work Asia into every show, folks. And we're back again to the Asia Connection. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock. (laughs) And you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. And we're back. Yeah, but no... so, yeah, it was a big deal to get Jimmy Iovine on there. And so, all right, it, in early 1985 comes the Breakfast Club movie and the soundtrack. The song is a huge hit. Jimmy's producing Once Upon a Time with them, and it's got some hits on there. All the Things She Said is a kind of a, a big hit for them. That's um, a great song. I love that track so much. Great song. Alive and Kicking is probably the one that Americans know second best. Like Most people only know them for Don't You Forget About Me. But if you know two Simple Mind songs, Alive and Kicking is probably the second. Right. Yeah, I do. That that was one that I I didn't, I did not, I remembered that song, but I forgot how great it was. And then I was watching um, all the things she said. The video is just fantastic. It's Jim's got this like power mullet from the eighties. He's got, it's, it's one of those where the, the image keeps going. It's like, you're looking in the mirror in the mirror, like there's more and more and more. He's got like a Falcon or something on his wrist. (laughs) It just, it doesn't make it, but it's like art for art's sake. But what I love about that song is he says he uses the word perfect, but he, he drops into the, the brogue and he says perfect and you're like oh that's right these guys are from scotland yes yeah i love that when every once in a while there's a word or two that drops out but yeah that that i think yeah in the united states that was their big moment in the sun and i guess that song don't you forget about me was written for the movie and then they were looking for someone to record it right right so that's that is right so the the writer keith forzi and steve schiff steve schiff was the guitar player keith forzi had written a lot of songs for the soundtrack and he wanted somebody to do it and he offered it to billy idol who said 
No. Huh. Offered it to Brian Ferry, and I could see that. Yeah. And he said no. I think they even offered it to the dude who used to be the lead singer of The Fix. What's his name? Cy or Cy Kernan. Cy Kernan, yeah. Yeah. I give it to him. He thought, apparently, apparently the record company thought Corey Hart of I Wear My Sunglasses oh. at Night fame would be good. Forzy said no. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, he was a big deal at that point in time. You know, maybe you could get a little heat behind this. I would. I don't think it would have worked, but I could see the thinking there. Well, yeah, no, exactly. Who knows who could do justice to a song? Sometimes you think you know, sometimes you don't. You know, you never can tell. But they didn't want to do it because they're like, well, look, we do Simple Mind songs. We write our own songs. It's not like we're some pop thing, you know, who needs somebody to write songs for them. Right. You know, so, but, you know, I guess Chrissy, wife to Jim Kerr at the time, Chrissy Hine, kind of convinced him, eh, maybe you should give it a shot, you know, and Forzy just talked about what a big Simple Minds, I mean, I think he wrote it in their vein because he's a fan. And then he went to, well, Billy Idol's a big star. Well, Brian Ferry's a big star. But then he's like, well, can I get them to do it? And they still didn't really want to do it, apparently. It was kind of like Quiet Riot. It's kind of like Quiet Riot with Come On, Feel the Noise. The producers right. want to do it. They're like, no, we don't want to do it. You know, we, we don't like that. Naughty Holder didn't sound like me. You know, So it was like, let's just go. We'll record it. We'll do a bad job and we'll forget about it. And I think that was kind of Simple Minds, too. Like, yeah, all right, let's just get it over with. And then they realized, well, we might have done something pretty good here. <laughs> but huge, huge, huge hit in America. As you say, you could only get it on the Breakfast Club soundtrack. You could buy the single, but you couldn't get it on an LP. And then this Once Upon a Time record comes out, produced by Jimmy Iovine. And it's got all the things she said on it. It's got Alive and Kicking on it. It's got Sanctify Yourself, which has been mm-hmm. not only a huge hit for them, but it's the way they've closed their shows for decades. You know, it was amazing live. It was so cool. It's just a very upbeat, uplifting kind of way to... To bring it all together. You know, it's funny because they were talking about, it was a, the interview was probably, I mean, at this point, it was probably seven or eight years ago now, but when they were, even still when they were talking about Don't You Forget About Me, they refer to it as the black hit from space, which is an old human league song. It was just kind of like it, it fell in their lap. They didn't write it. They didn't really, it, it just, the, the everything lined up together and it was, it's their biggest hit. But I think even to this day, they're kind of like, yeah, we did it. But again, not really one of our songs. Right. We didn't write it. And you can see how much how much thought and kind of personal experience they put in the rest of their stuff. Sure. I can see how this would kind of be the outlier. Absolutely right. No, you're, you're spot on there. But if this album also included Don't You Forget About Me, this album would have been huge yeah. in America uh, and, and, and bigger around the world. For that matter, I mean, I think it's still sold very well. You know, like it, uh, we're talking, you know, double platinum in Canada and gold in the U.S., which I think is their biggest U.S. you know award today. Triple platinum in the U.K. and then platinum and gold all over the place. You know, big sellers sold in the millions, but it would have sold millions more. And I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, if they've sold sixty-one million. Would it mean they would have sold 63 or 64, 65 million? Who can say? Who knows? Or would it, would, yeah. does it mean they would have sold 80 million? I don't know. Yeah, because I, I kind of think there were a lot of people back in, so when was that, 1985, that probably picked that record up, expecting it to be on there, and looked at it, looked through the tracks, it wasn't, and maybe put it back in the bin and said, I'll spend my money somewhere else. You, you could be right about that in America. Yeah. Now, look, yeah. Those, those other songs that I mentioned, they were hits over here. They were hits mm-hmm. in Europe. 
their hits around the world so they could do a big tour and they could you know be huge rock stars just not that big in america which is just kind of too bad uh, at least for americans maybe not for them necessarily <laughs> but you know it's just weird how some people hit in some parts of the world how some people are huge in south america but they can't get anywhere in north america or be huge in the far east or something like that sometimes and it's weird too because they were saying something about sparkle in the rain about how they thought that and i think that the somebody at the record company basically admitted that they kind of dropped the ball on that one they could have promoted it better they could have done more to push the band they just didn't and then when they saw what they did later they regretted not not having a bigger push on that one so so again had that one been pushed more who knows they could be up even higher uh, in the record sales well you know i i don't think they're hurting at least not jim and and virtual i mean those those yeah. guys i think are pretty well set up uh, i hope so for their sake but yeah so so that was that was when they were big in america they had the big single off breakfast club they had the big album um around the world and they toured it hard and in 87 they put out a live album live in the city of lights but then yeah it was 4 years before you got to street fighting years. Had a big hit with Belfast Child, where it was kind of like a traditional song that they then wrote new lyrics to, kind of about terrorism and and what was going on in Ireland at the time and freedom yeah. fighting, all that kind of stuff. And th- this was kind of a this was kind of a, a, a change of a new chapter, also because they had gotten really really big around the world and were asked to do these kind of charitable things, you know, like like Live Aid and and stuff like that. And yeah. They were saying, you know, you said there was a there was a layoff in between records, and I guess Jim went to. He said he went to Senegal, and he was kind of like for a holiday, for a for a a visit, Mm -hmm. and he kind of learned more about the slave trade, and it really like I think world issues really started to hit him hard. You know, you you start to you're you're this guy from. I mean, Glasgow is not a small city. But I mean, you kind of grow up in your little box and then you get exposed to the rest of the world. And now you're in a position where not only, you know, you're starting to make money, you're starting to go around the world, but you're starting to see things. And there are things in, in the world that are, that are troubling you. And then maybe you can do something about it and, and lend, a, and lend a, a voice to it. I mean, they, they were not from Ireland, but, you know, Belfast and that whole area was a real just and unfortunately still is kind of a troubled spot in the world. And yeah, to try and get that out. And they were saying, and I can't remember the guy's name, the keyboard player, the drummer or something, he was playing this thing. And they're like, wow, that's, that's great. Where did you, did you write that? He's like, yeah, it was written like 300 years ago. It's a, (laughs) it's a traditional song and they worked it in. Yeah. It's great, but it's not like anything they had done before. Yeah. You know, so it was a big hit over here. Not so much in America. I don't even know if it was released over there. Um, If it was, it didn't go anywhere. Whereas in in Europe and in England and Ireland, big, big hit for them, you know? So Mm. when we think of them as like, okay, even if you, you do the Breakfast Club song and then you got into the Once Upon a Time album, you didn't hear from them for a long time. And then the next album didn't really scratch anywhere. You know, I think eventually Real Life, you know, came out and it had some songs that you would have heard on the radio a little bit, maybe. But the Simple Minds were out of your head. You know, there was that too big of a break from 85 to 89. And then really from 85 to 91, if you missed out on 89, which most Americans did, so then it's like, okay, well, I don't even know if there is a Simple Minds. And yeah, there were some kind of lineup changes that kind of started to happen in the early 90s that, that changes yeah. the game for a lot of people. It, it was pretty solid throughout the 80s, through their heyday, throughout creating all those great records and selling all those records and doing those tours. 
but then, yeah, things started to change in the night. Jim and, and, and Charlie were always there, but, but there were some people in and out. But, but that, I guess, allowed them to, to get some different sounds over the years. Right. And, and it's nice, too, that they weren't trying to chase the same thing over and over again. You know, you get to the point where you just say, we've become not famous enough, but in a position where you don't have to do anything. You don't have to put out another record that sounds like anything else. So this is what we want to do now. And I mean, you said that the concert was very well attended. Obviously, there are people who want to still hear this music and will follow them from, you know, chapter to chapter. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people who see the Simple Minds this year. I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, it was supposed to be two years ago. Yes. But yeah, 40 years of songs and they had to wait two years to do it. You know, I mean, people have been holding on these tickets two, two and a half years, you know. So it goes from April through August, and I'm looking at it. It's all through, they go all through Europe. They go all through the UK, and uh, they play some festivals, of course, always big over here. But yeah, big, goodness, big tour throughout Europe. Goodness, they're playing more than 20 dates a month. Wow. Back to the UK again, ending up in Edinburgh. Wow. I mean, they're, they're doing, they must be doing 100 dates, Gary. That's, that. that's, well, you know, you figure after two years, years i don't know what the original tour was but you know you're chomping at the bit to get back out there on the road one of the things they did say is they were always they always tried to write songs that were that were going to be played live they weren't interested in being a studio band so i could see how yeah this is what they've always wanted to do so let's get back out on the road and and do our thing interesting that again you know we have these the same story comes up over and over again you know the heart of the band that the two guys the mick and keith the you know joe perry and steven tyler it's all it's like it seems like that combo is the one that always works out if you have at least two guys that can stay together and and keep the base intact you're 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 far ahead of the curve absolutely totally true yeah you gotta have some kind of foundation there yeah they're, they're the alex and getty you yeah. know they, they go way back to childhood and uh, they've kept it together and so, yeah the thing is they've been able to evolve by getting some more people in and you say you know you, yeah when they were in 1977 they couldn't play prog but they can play it now you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's uh, to me, it's very proggy uh, in a lot of ways. It's, it's not downer prog. It, it's very upbeat. There's a lot going on because you've got the guitar and the keyboard together. And if you do a good dance beat, which they're very good at, it was awesome. In, in the interviews that I've seen with them, it, it's back to what we were talking about with Jimmy Page. You know, you could run into Jim Kerr somewhere like if you ran into him at the hotel and didn't know anything about anything, you'd think this was just a regular dude who owned a hotel and was happy to see you. Not a guy who's toured the world and sold in excess of 60 million copies. I know, no. He was such a man of the people. He seems like the kind of guy you could sit down and and have a beer with. And if you didn't know who he was, you know, he wouldn't make a thing out of it, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. But I think you would be like one of those things where you just, you enjoy speaking with him. Right. Um, You know, yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Amanda Lehman, and you're listening to Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. <laughs> okay, so Sharice Ose is their drummer. The guy who played drums for most of the heyday of Simple Minds was Mel Gaynor. He was there from, what, 82 or so, basically through 2016 or 17, all right? And, and then 
this Sharice Osei, she was awesome. She was killer on those drums. She 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 had an amazing rhythm. She had amazing energy. She was fun. She had like big hair out here. And my wife, who loves to see women in power, it's like, oh, she's a badass, man. She's awesome. And I, I was digging. I thought she was amazing. And um, and she was very good. And and Jim, even you know, when he introduced her, she did a you know, a flurry of drums. <laughs> and he was like, she's she's shy, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's just kind of part of his draw. Like he, he he's a great entertainer, you know. He he knows what to say. It's kind of what Phil Collins, what you wished he was for this last tour, which he kind of had been back in the day mm -hmm. and so yeah so he's missing a little hair okay so he's maybe got a little bit more around the belly fine we can forgive him that as long as he's out there having fun and poor phil was in wretched shape but jim is still doing it it was great but no sharice is is awesome and then they also had this woman berenice scott on keyboards which is a pretty important role in the simple minds to deliver their sound and she was great you know she was awesome so it's good. It's not just the same old five guys from back in the day that you can grow and incorporate. They, they had Sarah Brown as a backup singer to give some voice because, you know, some of those songs, you know, that they sang in the 80s, it was, was kind of like a double lead, you know, between a, a female and, and Jim, you know. So it, it's a and rich that, sound that evolved. Yeah, and that that's fantastic because if there's one thing I can't stand, it's when they double the lead singer. You can't physically harmonize with yourself. That's ridiculous. Don't do it. So to put in the other voice, yeah, it just it just gives it a, a richer sound. And then to, to see them do that live with two people is pretty, it, it's the way it should be. And and again, they, they want to play these songs live, not do, you know, studio trickery. But back to the band too, I mean, you're you're at a position now where you can get whoever you want to fill in. Right. So that's, that makes the show better too, because there are no, there are no low spots like, well, yeah, if we've got so-and-so and, -so and you know, he's been with us since the beginning, but hmm. No, no, it, and, and it all contributed to a fantastic live show. You had people who could move around on the stage a little bit. You had this amazing light thing going on behind them. And then they had the, kind of the video on Jim or whoever they're focusing on on either side there. It was just a lot of fun, you know, and to be there with 10,000 people, 12,000, whatever it was, who know the music better than I do. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I enjoyed when they would sing along and I could look up and I could hear them sing, I thought, yeah, that's great, you know? Because, you, I mean, in, I'm guessing in the U.S. they'd have to do theaters. They're not doing mm. arenas. Yeah. I don't yeah. think. And, and, the, and it would probably even be a pretty short run. Like, I doubt they would even come down here. They'd probably hit, you know, like New York, Chicago, L.A. Like, they, would, they wouldn't do the kind of the sticks. Because they just, they, I mean, maybe Jacksonville because they've got a ton of people from the North, but I mean. They do Atlanta. Maybe you could go to that. That's only what, four yeah, hours away. Maybe. Right. <laughs> right. But they, but they would have to do, they would have to do it uh, like a more of a truncated deal here because they, they, it would just be big cities only. I think you're right about that. Unfortunately, mm. because th their music is amazing, you know, and I'm just looking at the set list. It five songs from new gold dream which was what 82 or whatever four songs from once upon a time four songs from sparkle in the rain you know and then a couple from empires and dance a couple from real life uh, including you know and, and that's you know early 90s sons and fascination is an old one street fighting years is 1980s with trevor horn you know plus the breakfast club song i mean it, if they did 26 songs, 23 of them were from 1989 or before that, you know, um, or maybe 24, something like that. Uh, you throw in Belfast Child and let it all come down. Yeah, then, yeah, we were talking about mostly the whole set there, you know. So they know, I guess, where their bread is buttered. But, I mean, they had this huge chart success 
over here in other places of the world that we as Americans missed out on. Right, right. And it's it's too bad because, it, well, I mean, that's the way the music business goes. You you stop for a minute and the world passes you by and it's all what they can what they can push on the radio and sell copies. And now it's nice because you can get more, there's more access to stuff like this. So you can, you know, you can go to Spotify and listen to whatever you want to listen to. So you don't get to miss out, but I'm glad that I'm glad that they're still performing. I'm glad that they, I'm glad they had a great turnout. I mean, after two years, who knows, people could have been like, you know what, forget it. I don't want to do this. Just give me my money back. Right. But the, the fact that they showed up and then the crowd was into it, I can't, there's nothing worse than when you go to a show and just, it's like, it's lackluster, mm-hmm. you know, people, they're like, eh, we're here, but whatever. Yeah. To, to get in there and to, it gives you more, even the songs that you maybe aren't super familiar with or super into, if the crowd is, you're like, oh, okay. If everybody else likes this song, I'll give this a whirl. And you know, you have a better appreciation for those songs. Absolutely. It, it was fun, man. It's, it's good to be back. I mean, when was the last time I was in a place that big to see a show? It was almost three years ago. It was summer that I took the Wolf Cub to see Kiss. Where was that? That was at the O2. Okay. And and I took them to see The Who at Webley Stadium, not arena, but stadium. That is outdoors. So, and of course, we saw Genesis at the O2 here recently. So I guess, yeah. It, and then those two within a week of each other after waiting collectively <laughs> for two and five years for those two shows. Just waiting and waiting. But it was good. It was good to be able to commute again. And everybody was pretty chill. Like I said, it was kind of an older crowd. I, I was median to younger for mm-hmm. the crowd. Uh, so, but, but there were people standing up dancing. There were people having fun and, and singing along. And it's just good to hear them singing songs, even though if I didn't even know them that well. I'm like, that's great. Right. Yeah, it, it definitely helps you give it, it's, it, you have more of an appreciation for it if the crowd's into it. And then who knows, maybe you go back and you say, okay, I wasn't a big fan of whatever the song, let me listen to it a little, couple more times on my own and, and get into it a little more. And they're always going to play something that you don't know that well. Uh, sure. So, you know, yeah, have a listen. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's great when you know every single song on the set list. And obviously if I go see the Stones and they're only going to play 20 songs, well, yeah, I'm going to know every single song they do. Mm. They could play 200 songs and I'm going to know every single song they do. But a band like this, where I only knew four or five songs at all before two years ago, really. Obviously, I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years, thanks to, like, as soon as the pandemic hit Jackson, and we couldn't go anywhere. And I had tickets to 12 different concerts that were all (laughs) getting canceled or postponed. I just started to, like, buy DVDs and to buy albums of them. So, like, okay, so when it got to that date, okay, this is when we were supposed to go see Yes!, so tonight I'm going to watch, you know, yes, <laughs> 35. On, yes, exactly. Because you couldn't go anywhere in, in 2020. I mean, you couldn't, we were in serious lockdown over here. Yeah. Certainly concerts were all banned and stuff like that. And it was late 2021 where some started to come back. You know, I, I got to see Steve Hackett and uh, in the theater, uh, which is where I'm going to see Sting the night after tomorrow. And then, uh, you know, finally the O2 came back. In the fall, they did the arena tour around England it's just they couldn't do the last four because Rutherford got the virus. Right. So, you know, so they had to postpone it again at the end of their European tour. But um, but so that, you know, it's it's just nice to be able to start to go back to these things. And I'm just looking at my stuff coming up here, you know, looking forward to in one week, in one week's time, I get to see Noel Gallagher live. And yes, 50th anniversary of Close to the Edge at Royal Albert Hall and Rolling Stones in Hyde Park. That's one week of my life in June. Yeah, that was That was a little strange because when I was there, they had big posters up for that, the Hyde Park 
show. Yeah. Like, do they need to advertise this or this? I'm probably sure this is pretty much already sold out. Well, you know, no, I mean, it's one of those things. There have different levels in the in Pied Park. The area they use on the east side there is huge. So, I mean, 400,000 people could come. 600,000 people could come, you know. And, wow. there's a, and so, you know, yeah, why not advertise to get the extra 100,000, 200,000 in there? <laughs> they are doing two different dates, though. Um, okay. They, they, do, they do the 25th of June, and they do something like the 3rd of July or 5th of July or something like that. And plus, I get to see Jeff Beck at Royal Albert Hall, like, in the fourth row or something sick like that. Oh, that'll be cool. So, yeah, can't wait. Good to have live music back. And you were supposed to see Steve Hackett, but... I guess it didn't I, work out. Well, it, it, I think if I'm if I'm going back through it, I think that the original date was I think in March that they were going to do it, and there was something that was up, and then it sold out really quick. So I mean, good for him. Maybe maybe the place was a little too small for him if it sold out that quick. Yeah, so that that just didn't work out. But then you know, like we talked about, I've got the cult coming up on Saturday, yes. um, down in Orlando, and that's going to be yidge. And then um, getting ready to, we want to go see the big Motley Crue Def Leppard show on the second of July here wow. at the, um, I guess at the at the uh, Jaguar Stadium. Yeah, yeah. So, so now, are you going to go all day? Are you going to go for like Joan Jett and Poison? Or are you going to get there just a little later? <laughs> see, here's the thing: if it were the other way around, I would totally like. I'd love to see Joan Jett. I have no desire to see Poison. None at all. So it's like, can I can I see her and then leave and come back? Because <laughs> that's a long day. It is a long day. Yeah. And, and it's going to be hot in July. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yes, Joni, I would love to, you know, maybe just turn it up loud. I'll sit in the parking lot and listen. Correct. Um, but yeah. But I mean, you haven't seen Def Leppard since we saw him right. 30 years ago, right? That's correct. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen, I don't think I've ever seen Motley Crue. And I mean, it honestly, like I could, t- I could take or leave that. I think Vince's voice is shot, but to hear the rest of them would be cool. Right. Um, but yeah, De- Def Leppard is definitely the attraction there. They're the draw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I would totally see Def Leppard again. I had chances to see Motley Crue and I just never pulled the trigger on it. It was just like, yeah, I, yeah. If someone gave me tickets, and then eventually somebody did even give offer me tickets, but I was like tired. I'm like, eh, the last <laughs> second thing. It's like if I had a few days to think about it, I'd probably say, yeah, man. But it's like, can you come right now? I'm like, nah, I can't come right now. Right now, <laughs> I can't no. come right now. No. Well, it was funny yesterday because I was it was like lunchtime and I was making lunch and and they had on Instagram something popped up from Peloton where Def Leppard is live now. I'm like, live right this second. All right, cool. Let me see what that's all about. And it was. Some dude trying to interview Phil Collin on, uh, I guess, whatever, Zoom or whatever, and his audio wasn't working. I'm like, could this go any other way? And then the, the guy's trying to, the Peloton guy's trying to scramble to get something done. And there's a live chat going on at the same time. And everybody and their brothers pitching in with, is he on mute? Does he have uh, Bluetooth? And the guy's like, I'm just trying to get this done now. I feel horrible. So don't feel too bad when we have audio issues because it's everybody in this right. day and age. I guess so. Well, that wraps up episode number 73 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast, folks. And I hope you enjoyed the journey that I had and that we took talking about Simple Minds today. Simple Minds is a great band, an iconic band, a band whose sound kind of defined an era, kind of early to mid, all the way through the 80s, really. Part of New Wave, part of the new British Invasion, part of the soundtrack on MTV back in the day. 
if you only know one song, and I'm talking to Americans primarily here, but if you only know Don't You Forget About Me, you're missing so much of Simple Minds. And it's almost insulting in some ways just because that wasn't their song. They didn't write it. It was kind of written for them, but it could have been a Brian Ferry song. It could have been a Billy Idol song. But they did it in an amazing way. Number one hit in America and inextricably linked to The Breakfast Club, which may not be a big deal over here in Europe or in England, but in America, in the 80s, for suburbanites like me, like Jackson, like tens of millions of children who now are grown adults, that that movie was a touchstone, okay? That defined us as a generation, that movie. And that song, which ran at the beginning and closing credits, is essential to the storytelling, is essential to that movie. But that's not their only song, folks. As British people will tell you, as people around the world will tell you, they have dozens of hit songs. And I was so fortunate to see all of them in Wembley Arena with about 12,000 other folks on March 31st here. The first night of their tour, kicking it off in London, which has got to have about 100 dates all over Europe and back in the UK again later this summer. So if you have the ability, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you go see The Simple Minds on their 40th anniversary tour. Charlie Burchill and Jim Kerr are in fine form, and the rest of their band, top-notch. The stage show is amazing, and if you don't already know the songs, just do yourself a favor. Get that 40th anniversary triple CD, or at least listen to it. You will love a lot of those songs, and you'll know more than you realize you do. And again, I'm talking to Americans. The Brits, the Scottish, they know all about the Simple Minds. They've had hits for decades over here. I'm talking to Americans who are guilty of thinking they're a one-hit wonder, or maybe, you know, alive and kicking, but they're extraordinary songwriters. They have a great sound, very new wave from the 80s, also a little proggy, but it's also indefinable. It's really just who they are, and I loved it. I was very happy to be a part of the show that night, and I wish them all the great success on the tour going forward. Now, as usual, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. You can DM us. Let us know the bands, the records, the concerts, the DVDs, the rock properties you want us to talk about. And please make sure to download or subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play has been good to us lately. Go to YouTube and catch us. Good Pods has been great to us. We love ending up in the top 10 on their top 10 list. That's fun. And check out the rest of the rock shows on the Pantheon podcast family. We are very proud to be part of Pantheon. We do this a little bit more than a month on Pantheon now. And we're having a lot of fun. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up with other members of the Pantheon podcast family. So you can check out PantheonPodcast.com or at Pantheon Pods to learn more about all the other great shows that we love uh, and are now affiliated with. And please, if you're thinking about it, give us a five-star review or a positive review wherever you get your podcast. It just helps us find more listeners like you, helps us grow the show. And if you send it to us, Hey, man, we might just read it on the show. Now, once again, next week, we've got so many great things going on. we got a few things up in the air. I can't even tell you what's coming next week. You're just going to have to subscribe and download to find out. Our shows come out Thursdays. Well, Thursday morning in the UK uh, and in Central Europe. Very late at night on Wednesday in America. We thank all of our listeners out there. And as usual, for all you folks all around the world, until next time, be cool and stay safe.
Looking to expand or move your company? Ohio has the talent you need to scale for growth. Ohio's central location, reliable infrastructure, and top-ranked business climate are here to help you succeed. Get to business. Visit successinohio.com today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 